Hello and welcome to the second episode of our quarterly On Point podcast series. I'm Neil Parker, Director and FX Market Strategist with NatWest Markets, and I'm delighted to be joined again by Ross Walker, Managing Director and Joint Global Head of Economics, Sam Borton, a Director with our Syndicate team, and also welcome Rupert Taylor, Managing Director and Head of Industrials and Transporting Coverage and Sector Content. Thanks to all of you for sparing your time for this podcast. Today, we'll be exploring the latest forecasts and risks for the UK and global economy and what this means for markets and corporate decision makers in the third quarter and beyond. So without further ado, let's plunge into the topics for this podcast. Ross, starting with you, what are your latest forecasts for growth in the major economies for 2021 and 2022? Thanks, Neil. Well, we continue to have quite a buoyant, upbeat view. Um, we've, we've been above the consensus for most of this year. I think those, those more optimistic forecasts have been vindicated by the incoming data in the first half of the year. And so if you take the global economy, we're looking for growth of around 7% in 2021. So that follows a 3.5% decline during the pandemic year of 2020. So quite a strong rebound globally, broad-based growth across both the advanced and emerging economies. Um, And the US obviously doing particularly well, we think growth of about 7.5% this year, just over 6% next year. Um, There's a big fiscal stimulus there supporting activity. The central bank, the Fed is signaling that it will keep monetary policy looser for longer. That will also be supportive. Uh, But we also see fairly buoyant conditions in the UK and and, and Europe. We've seen um, a a less severe hit to the economy with the lockdown in the first quarter in both the UK and the Euro area. And we're seeing in terms of the the rebound in Q2, um, stronger growth coming through more quickly. So the UK, 7% growth this year, 6.3% next. Eurozone, not quite as robust, 5% this year, just shy of six next. But clearly, all of these economies demonstrating um, a, you know, a fairly impressive rebound and essentially getting levels of output back to pre-pandemic levels by the end of this year, beginning of next year. So I think you've, you've answered part of my next question, which was, has much changed regarding the growth forecast for those major economies since we recorded the Q2 outlook? podcast back in in, in April. Uh, But is there anything that you wanted to further highlight? I think just to emphasize that the the latest survey data and and the forward-looking indicators that we're getting at the moment are are still surprisingly buoyant. You're beginning to see perhaps some turning point, but all that's really telling you is that that growth rates are, are beginning to moderate. They're still some way above trend rates. So in other words, the, the high frequency data, the confidence indicators uh, are telling us that, that this strength is persisting into the second half of this year. And we think that momentum can, can spill over into, into 2022. So, um, you know, most of the, the concerns have obviously centered on the Delta variant or, or other risks of some, some re, re-imposition of restrictions. But, but on balance, the the... Uh, the trend seems to be in the other direction where we're, we're, we're seeing governments delivering, implementing, loosening restrictions. So again, that's, that's underpinning our confidence that at least for the remainder of this year and into the early part of 2022, there's, there's still significant momentum in the economy. 
And what about the re-emergence of inflation? Uh, are central banks right to be as relaxed as they appear on this, or will we see any significant changes in the third quarter from central banks given recent overshoots? Yeah, this is this is the big debate. We um, we lean towards the view that, that most of these inflation pressures in most of the major economies will be transitory, and so most of the inflation we're seeing today, although it, as you say, it has been overshooting. Uh, forecasts in, in recent months. Nevertheless, it, it's still primarily a function of the, the, the base effects, the weak pricing last year during the first lockdown. And I would say in terms of the, you know, the most recent data, I think there's more evidence of what you might call cost push inflation than demand pull, demand led inflation. And I think that's that that gives us more confidence that, that this inflation burst will be transitory. So in other words, for many commodity prices, energy, you're seeing price levels correct. Um, and, and that is for a short term, giving you quite big percentage year over year rises, quite big increases in inflation. But as those price levels normalize, and as we move into 2022, those inflation rates should then just arithmetically, automatically uh, turn down. It would be more problematic, I think, if we were to see more evidence of demand overheating and consumers looking to spend in a more persistent way beyond the economy's supply capacity. And I, I don't think yet there's evidence of that. And if you even, you know, in the UK data that we see, when you drill down into the detail, those components that would be most sensitive to economic reopening, hotels, restaurants, airfares, you know, inflation in these categories remains relatively subdued. It's running just a little over 2%. It's, it's not surging away out of control. So something to be monitored closely. And, and I think there's still a risk that some of this inflation sticks and, and proves a bit more persistent. But thus far, I think central banks will be trying to hold the line on this, this dovish signaling. Yeah, I think obviously there's a big debate in the foreign exchange markets at the moment over how this will affect the uh, the reaction function of, of, of uh, currency markets and which currencies are potentially more receptive to the prospect of higher interest rates or what that will mean in terms of risk appetite and we've certainly seen some currencies benefiting from this this uh, recent increase in yields and interest rates certainly for example the US dollar has benefited from that again whether it's transitory or more permanent is an open question and that's been to the detriment of the likes of sterling and the the euro which have fallen back from recent highs I mean, it's been remarkable over the last sort of six or seven weeks just how far and how fast some of these currencies have fallen and other currencies that have benefited things like the swiss franc and to a lesser extent the japanese yen are on the basis of safe haven seeking but i don't think there's any real conviction within the moves that we've seen because the central bank's messaging i think has been uh, very consistent and um, and uh, and persistently stating that they view the uh, the inflation numbers as transitory. You have started to see a break as far as some of central banks' actions. We saw the Bank of Canada uh, reducing their level of asset purchases on a uh, a, a weekly basis. But you know, there's uh, there's still the messaging out there that any rate increases are are a relatively long way off. And I think that 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 that's kept the market still in check. So although currency markets have seen 
quite a sizable reaction to this. It's still relatively orderly and it hasn't broken out. None of the currency pairs have broken out of recent ranges. Um, I'm going to turn to you now, Rupert. And looking at the strength of the recovery, uh, the sporadic nature of it across different geographies and sectors, um, we've seen some buildup in leverage across some sectors as they attempt to keep the lights on through the pandemic. Others have been far less affected. So will this next quarter and through to the end of the year see a material change in financing requirements? And if so, where and for what purpose? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Neil. And look, I mean, the build-up in leverage has been connected both to an increase in net debt, but also, of course, to a reduction uh, in EBITDA. And as you say, it's disproportionately affected some sectors. Uh, as we continue to see the economic improvement, leverage is starting to reduce, uh, driven both by free cash flow generation, but also by uh, earnings EBITDA increases. And we're also seeing the increased confidence in the economic recovery beginning to uh, permeate through to, to corporate plans um, with, with increases in, in corporate spending forecasts. CapEx is expected to, to rebound much more quickly than it did after the, the global financial crisis, perhaps in the sort of mid-teens percentage area year on year. And um, that, that will be driven by infrastructure spending, by the, the transition into green energy and, and wider low carbon investments, investments in, in, in you know, and investments in digital technology as well. And, and that, that follows a 2020 that saw CapEx budgets cut, you know, principally in response to, to the COVID crisis. Uh, yeah. Dividends also saw a significant reduction in, uh, in, in 2020. For instance, in the UK, dividends were down uh, over 40%. Uh, we still expect dividend payments to be below 2019 payments this year, recovering uh, only over the medium term to, to 2019 levels. And, and whilst there, there may be a pickup in share buybacks, and we've certainly seen that uh, in the US in the S&P 500, again, we expect this to be more, more modest in, uh, in the UK and Europe. Uh, we do expect corporate M&A to pick up, given the, uh, the rise in confidence uh, in the economic recovery, and also given the fact, as, as you alluded to, that COVID is triggering a reshaping of, of some sectors. Uh, but despite all this, corporates continue to hold uh, historically high levels of liquidity. That's both committed undrawn lines, but also, also cash. And whilst debt funding rates remain very attractive, uh, we don't see a material increase in corporate funding in the, uh, in the second half of the year. Okay, so this isn't a yes or no question, but do you expect the economic recovery ultimately then to lead to a material reduction in debt? And if so, how far will this go? Yeah, and, and I don't think it warrants a yes or no answer either. But so, <laughs> look, I think, I think you, well, whilst the economic recovery will lead to reduce corporate leverage from where we are today, uh, we think that will be primarily driven by, by increased earnings as opposed to, to, to reducing net debt yeah, across, across the board on the corporate side. Yeah, of course, corporates will look to, to de-lever following yeah, a spike that's, um, that has been driven by yeah, the one-off shock that, that is COVID. But we don't expect meaningful changes in, uh, in corporate target capital structures over the medium term. Uh, in, our, in our year ahead article earlier this year, at the very beginning of the year, of course, we said that we thought the relative cost of debt to equity, the need for investment, the one-off nature of the COVID shock, uh, the desires of equity investors and the increased presence and pressure of alternative financing in the form of, for instance, PE and activist funds uh, would, all, would all mean that corporates would continue to target leverage levels similar to that that they did pre-COVID. Uh, and so far, that's been borne out. 
uh, there doesn't seem to be any trend that we can see in corporate announcing changes in, in financial policies or targets. And whilst that might be because uh, we're not sufficiently far out of the crisis yet, yeah, anecdotal evidence suggests that we uh, we don't think that's going to meaningfully change over the coming quarters. Debt clearly enhances equity returns, uh, and it's currently you know, readily and cheaply available. The UK continues to be um, Europe's centre of, of shareholder activism, and we've seen a record amount of private equity investment in, uh, in UK business year to date, and a really significant number of, uh, of public to private takeovers. And of course, that, that not only increases leverage at the targets themselves, but it also helps encourage other corporates to ensure that they don't become underlevered. Um, so the, the short version is that, that you know, we think the recovery will see corporates who can pay down debt to, to target levels, i.e. levels you know, that, that were targeted pre, pre-COVID. Uh, and for some in, in, you know, in, the, in the most badly affected sectors, that will take many quarters. But we don't think medium to long term it's going to lead to a change in the target debt equity mix overall. Thank you. I, I'm glad that wasn't a yes or no answer because I've certainly learned a lot from that. Um, Sam, apologies. Uh, we've kept you waiting a, a little while. Just thinking back to some of what both Ross and Rupert have said, do you think business need to consider the timing, timing of any funding action? And particularly, I'm thinking firstly of when central banks may be looking to slow the pace of monetary loosening measures and also the type and maturity of funding that investors want as well. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Neil. I mean, I think from a, a timing perspective, we, um, along with our, our economics team and strategy team, do look at the, the calendar um, over the coming period of, um, you've got the, the ECB next week, and then Bank of England early August, Jackson Hole end of August, ECB 9th of September, um, some folks on US inflation around the, the mid-September point, and then the 22nd of September Fed. So it's very, very busy in September. And therefore, um, we do expect some increased volatility from a a funding perspective. Um, However, I think our our view around this market and the significant fund inflows you've seen over the past quarter is it's going to be very well supported going into into the end of the year. However, you will have to pick your windows very carefully, given the potential for increased volatility. I think a trend which we have seen a little bit in in the past quarter is um, a pivot to shorter maturities in sort of the five to 10 year part of the curve, just given where rates have been moving to. That's been more the preference for investors. But still, we we have seen um, appetite for, for longer end issuance. We saw the first 30 year this year. Um, which we were involved with for Deutsche Bahn. So certainly demand is still there, but I would say potentially from, from our view, we expect credit, credit spreads to be range-bound through the next quarter. However, some of the parts of the spectrum we, we think may get more impacted than others are in the lower beta space, clearly much more volatile to underlying rates moves. And therefore, we think the um, low triple B a crossover down to, to double be part of the risk spectrum still is where there is potential for, for maybe some, some continued outperformance. Um, and we continue to see that coming through in, in investor um, interest on COVID recovery trades. Um, you know, some, some ones of late Lufthansa, again, accessing the market 
Um, those, those are the types of trades which continue to get the most demand from investors. And therefore, when you think of it from an issuer's perspective, um, more of a, a steer to doing maybe the, the, the longer duration trades now, um, rather than waiting till, till September where there might be a little bit more uncertainty from, from, from rates from, from the investor base. Thank you. And I'm, I'm, before I wrap up, I'm, I'm going to throw the usual hand grenade uh, into the, uh, the mix here. Uh, so was there anything following the uh, previous podcast call that took you by surprise in terms of either data or market activity? You can be as broad or as, uh, as narrow as you like on this. Sam, considering that you, 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 you finished off the, the last piece, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. I think one thing which we, we did think was going to play a major part this year was, was GSS issuance. Um, but I would say it is has exceeded expectations from a supply perspective. Um, so this far this year, so far this year, it, it comprises 30% of euro volumes and over 50% of sterling volumes. Um, and and therefore um, you know, I think the overall focus from the whole banking community on it has, 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 has clearly been very significant. And I think that will continue to be the case through the rest of the year. And potentially, if that continues to grow at the same trajectory, gets euro corporate um, sterling volumes close to 2020 levels. However, I still think we're probably going to lie slightly behind expectations, given we're 30% behind on, on both at the minute. But I think just the overall demand, the supply and demand we've seen for GSS issuance is one thing which continues to, um, um, you know, I guess, guess to go, go over and above expectations. Yeah, certainly something that has permeated virtually all markets. Uh, the, the sort of green social sustainability agenda, ESG, is something that gets mentioned uh, virtually daily from a foreign exchange market perspective as well. And I'd expect it to be um, uh, an increasing focus for, for all markets as we go through the remainder of this year and into uh, the early stages of, of 2022. Rupert, turning to you, um, anything that, that took you by surprise? Thanks, Dan. I mean, firstly, I, I concur fully with with Sam. And I, I think yeah, the other the other point I make on on um, GSS issuance is is I guess the embedding of yeah, the the new issue premium discount for uh, for GSS bonds. And Sam's been more able to talk about it than I am. But uh, you know, it, it really feels like along with that that remarkable growth that the, uh, the, the sort of premium, so to speak, is. Uh, has become a sort of you know, embedded feature in that in that market. And I think the other the other point, and I guess it points back to some of the comments I made earlier, is you know, given given the conditions for for corporate debt issuance, yeah, I would say it's you know probably expectations are probably yeah uh, uh, for, for levels of issuance a little lower than I than I would have expected. I imagine if you'd asked me uh, you'd asked me uh, earlier in the year. Um, yeah, we will see if that starts to pick up again towards towards the end of the year as confidence in beds and, uh, and and corporates are ready to to undertake yeah, more strategic actions yeah, with the benefit of, of some economic growth behind them. Thank you, and and 
we started on macroeconomics, so let's finish on macroeconomics. And over to you, Ross. What uh, what has surprised you, or, or what would you highlight in terms of um, between the Q2 Outlook podcast and now? I think in in terms of the macroeconomics, it's, it's definitely the way um, expectations about the timing of the the first Bank of England interest rate hike have, have fluctuated. So the market got very hawkish going into the the May forecast, expecting a signal. It, it then had to, to back off. But as we mentioned earlier, the overshooting inflation outturns is again fueling this expectation that the, the first interest rate rise could come uh, in the second half of next year. So still some way away, but, but to some degree, maybe shifting from 2023 into the second half of 2022. Certainly possible, but I think... Um, you know, we would we would certainly need to see the the more optimistic forecasts being vindicated on on growth and maybe a little bit of price stickiness for me to get a you know a mid twenty twenty two hike. I think that's a great place to, to to finish up. So thank you all for participating and and giving your thoughts on this call. Um, For our listening audience, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of On Point. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and navigate to cli.natwest.com for the latest updates on what's moving markets. We'd also encourage you to follow us on social media to get out all of our latest content. Thanks and speak to you again soon.